I'm John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor here at Sunlight Community Church, and I would like to thank you for being here this morning because we're starting a new two-week series, which means if you miss two weeks in a row, you're missing the whole series. So glad you're here on the first week. And so we are going to be exploring Jesus being the king. He is king. What is he king of? What, what did people think he was king of? And what, what does that look like? And so we are excited about that. And so if you want to follow along and you're on version or you're in our app, there's actually the sermon notes are in the app. Um, or you can follow along on version. You click on the right-hand side. It says more inside the version app, which is the Bible app. And then you click on events and you can follow along there as well. So today we're going to be in two different books. Um, one's the Old Testament, one's New Testament. We're going to be in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 7, we're going to just read one verse from there, and then we're going to go to Luke chapter 3. And we, this, this, this week is a week that I've kind of been looking forward to, because I, I've got some expectations about what God's going to do this next two weeks in our church and in our community. And so I'm going to pray right now, because we can't do anything with the power, uh, without the power that God's given us. And so let me pray for a second here. Heavenly Father, we come before you, we ask that as we read your word this morning, that you would would open our eyes and our hearts to what it says. Open our our eyes and our hearts to to what, what is going on, who Jesus is. Help us to live lives filled with with expectation, not expectation on others, but expectation on you, because you are who you say you are, because you have promised things to us if we follow you and turn to repent of our ways and take on your ways. We pray this morning that if there's people here that don't know Jesus as their king, that, God, you would just open their hearts to what your word says here. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We all all have expectations for others, expectations on others. Some are small. Some are large. Some are realistic. Some are very unrealistic. You ever have someone say, that's totally unrealistic? Okay. They come in all shapes and sizes and forms. And, And we struggle... Because what, when we put an expectation on someone, that expectation has left us. It's not something we're expected to do, but we're expecting others to do. And expectations in relationships can lead to a full range of things, disappointment. And if you're sitting in this room and you've, maybe, maybe you're above the age of 18, you've probably had disappointment in relationships at some point where you were disappointed. Or maybe you had great joy. When you realize that someone met that expectation, that excitement, the thing that you wanted them to do, desired them to do, expectations can burden us. If you've ever read the, 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 the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, he had this burden and he needed it taken from him. So this burden, we have expectations. So we think people need to act this way, otherwise, and then we pause and we say, otherwise, what's going to happen? Usually it's anger, it's frustration, it's disappointment. These expectations burden us. I think most children have expectations and excitement about Christmas. Anyone with kids, like your kids, like my kids, we have to tell them it's not Christmas. It's not Christmas. It's not Christmas. Okay, it's Christmas tomorrow. 
And then if we say Christmas tomorrow, they want to stay up as late as possible. They're, they're 5, 3, and 18 months. I don't know how the 18-month-old knows that it's Christmas, okay? But she knows. She's so excited. The expectation is gifts. Imagine waking up on Christmas morning as a kid and you have no gifts. When you remember that Christmas, and maybe some of you had that Christmas, well, there's no gifts. Your expectation is gifts. And after that, the, the possible expectations are endless, like what, what type of gift you would want. I always wanted, as a kid, an official Red Ryder carbine action, 200-shot range air rifle with a compass in a stock that really has, a, has something that tells time. Anyone know what that's from? That's not my want. That's from a Christmas story. Okay. All right. So you get my point. There's this expectation. You want this. You're longing for this. When we put expectations on others, at some point, we are going to be disappointed. They could be the best people in the entire world, and you're still disappointed. Because there's something that's not going to meet that bar that you've set. Artificially, let's, let's be honest, artificially. But God promises things, and he follows through on them. We can have expectations on God within his character, who he is. But sometimes we have the wrong expectations on God, and then we blame him for having the wrong expectations. Isn't that funny? We get hurt because we're not looking for what God has promised, but what we want him to promise. Those are two different things. And God gives us this great promise of a king. A king that, that, that surpasses all other kings, all other rulers, all other presidents, all other prime ministers, all other everything in this entire world. And we can live lives expecting God to follow through on that. Because that expectation is going to be met. But guess what? You might turn and look at the person next to you. I'm going to have you do this. Turn and look at the person next to you and say, you're never going to meet all my expectations. Do it. Oh, my wife's looking at me. Okay, that's hard. See, I knew, I knew this would backfire. You're never going to meet all my expectations. It's not going to happen. But my wife was pointing at me. I guess that's, I, I really failed. I went to man camp, so we really need family time this afternoon. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. This is the expectation we can have. And I'm only going to read verse 14. If you want to read more of that, uh, there's, there's a lot more there. But uh, the term son of man is applied to Jesus. Just so if you're looking the header above verse 13, usually it says son of man is given dominion or, or authority. Or, and so I'm going to read verse 14 here. And to him, okay, the him is Jesus. We know that now. This prophecy about Jesus. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Anyone ever watch Willy Wonka? Anyone watch Willy Wonka, the old one, where the everlasting gobstopper, like it's just always going to be, which is really gross if you're a parent. I mean, think about how many mouths that's been in. Ugh, gross. So the everlasting gobstopper, he's going to have an everlasting kingdom. There's no way that you will ever get to the depths of how, how much of a kingdom he has. To him, who is him? Jesus. He's the coming king. Who, what was Jesus given? 
And who was it given by? God the Father gave Jesus dominion, glory, and a kingdom. He's the one that's over all peoples. All peoples, all nations, all languages. Let me be very careful how I say this. It says right here, all should serve him. All peoples, all nations, and all languages. It only takes about two seconds to realize that's not true. Because people, we don't serve him, right? All nations, all peoples. You know, people are translating the Bible into brand new languages where the Bible has never been read before. All over the world. This hasn't happened yet. There's, there's some sense it's not happened. But all peoples, all nations, all languages should serve him. And as a parent, I think about these things. You know? Because I'm king of my own kingdom, right? I'm a parent. Kids need to do what I say. So... They should listen to what I say, right? And parents are, some of you smirking already. They should listen to what I say. My kids should be obedient. My kids should, you can insert whatever you want there. But in reality, my five-year-old daughter, Annalise, when I tell her to do something is, no, I do not want to do that. No, I don't want, no. And Zach's not doing it. He's three, okay? Sometimes a five-year-old can do more than a three-year-old. Can we all agree on that? So, so I'm like, he, he can't do it because he doesn't even understand how to do it. So like, that's why we're not having him do it. You know, if, if, if I tell my son the other night, I told him to walk in, he's supposed to take a half package of graham crackers. So heavy, guys, so heavy, especially for a three-year-old. Oh, it was like there was a 100-pound weight in that, that boy's hand. And I told him, I said, walk the hallway to the kitchen. Maybe 10 steps. I can't walk. I can't walk. I can't, I can't walk. Think about it. Did I look foolish there? Oh, some people said no. Okay, all right. I'm okay. I still have some friends. In that moment... When your child is not responding to you, or maybe you are that child, and when people don't respond to you, God is thinking the same thing. I, I don't know that the finite love of a parent, the, 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 the limited love of a parent, can compare to the infinite love of God that's saying, all peoples, all nations, all languages should serve Jesus. Because God wants what's best for us. He loves us with infinite wisdom. Most parents want what's best for their kids, right? I mean, and if you don't say that, then you kind of, I kind of wonder, like, because we all want that. doesn't mean we always do it well. In fact, we fail a lot of times. But he loves us with infinite care and concern. There's this sense of, of understanding that we miss sometimes. When we hear the word king, I think of, like, like swords and and. and big shields and battle. And we're going to get a picture next week of a king that trots in like every other person. That, that doesn't act like anything special. That doesn't want the glory that comes with man, but really wants what God has for us. And so Jesus' kingdom is eternal. There's no more, when there's no more United States, I know that's hard to believe, Jesus will still have a kingdom. 
Any of you live outside the United States for an extended period of time? Anyone? Okay. No, wait, did I see anyone? No. Okay. Extended period of time outside the United States, right? There are other countries, right? <laughs> There's other places. There's new countries forming every few years. When that passes away, Jesus will still have a kingdom. And I think this last prophecy at the end here of Daniel is even more awe-inspiring because it says, His kingdom shall not be destroyed. Everything you do will be destroyed at some point. Let me use my kids as a great example. One kid builds something. The next kid crushes it down. That's just what it is. It's the cycle of building blocks and Legos and everything else that we build. There's, there's this sense that Jesus' kingdom, no matter what you do or try, is never going to be destroyed. I want to be in that kingdom. I don't want to be in something that's, that's you know, half-hearted. Every kingdom and empire will pass away. There's a hymn that says this. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. What's left? Jesus. Some of you started singing that hymn. It's a great hymn. Every kingdom and empire will pass away. Let's think about this. The Ming Dynasty, gone. The Persians, gone. The Babylonians, gone. The Romans, gone. The British colonies are essentially their own countries now. They're, it's dissolved. It's gone. Jesus is the exception to the rule. His kingdom is, is universal. And what I mean by that is, let me be careful, it's not constrained by boundaries like, like the kingdoms and empires and nations here are. His kingdom doesn't have a country. We don't have a flag. There is the Christian flag, but I don't think Jesus put that in the Bible, okay? Just so those of you that might be offended by that. There's, there's, we don't, <laughs> do we have a motto? Do we have, there's things that we can find, but... It, that is where we find ourselves. His kingdom doesn't have boundaries. And so in Luke chapter 3, a people has been waiting for a kingdom and waiting to be free from the Romans and waiting for a deliverer and the king of an indestructible kingdom. Indestructible kingdom. So let's turn Luke 3. Luke chapter 3. After this, the, that part of Daniel, when I, when I was preparing for this, I thought... That's the coolest verse. You want to you you have security and, and realize what is right and what's true? You read that verse and go, whoa. If that doesn't produce awe, I don't know what will. You know, in this room, there is a 100% mortality rate. I know, you're saying I'm morbid now. Mortality. Mortality rate. 100% mortality rate. Every single one of you is going to meet your maker at some point. But I want it to be the maker that's in Daniel 7.14. I want it to be the one that has been given everything. Turn with me to Luke chapter 3, verse 3, where it says, And he went all the, in, to, into all the region around the Jordan, this is John the Baptist, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the books, a book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Let every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall become straight. The rough places become level, level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. 
John the Baptist was actually in the region that Jesus was going to do most of his ministry in. You know, Jesus didn't spend much time in Jerusalem. That, yet Jerusalem was the center of the world for a good Jew. I don't know what that would be for someone living in the United States. I mean, Washington, D.C., I guess. But, but we don't have this, like, this is the center of the known world moment. Lots of different religions do, but he didn't spend time in Jerusalem. And because, because Jesus' kingdom is universal, it's not just a nation or an empire, Jesus could do ministry wherever he wanted, wherever he felt like. I'm almost going to sneeze there. Whew, that was close. Luke references Isaiah to show that the ministry of John the Baptist was foretold hundreds, read that, hundreds of years earlier. The people that that was written to were dead. And their grandpa was dead. And their great-grandpa was dead. And then generations later, after they've heard this same thing from the prophet Isaiah for years, they're still expectant of who's going to come. That, that level of excitement could not be contained in 15 seconds on Instagram right now. Okay, they're so excited. They've been waiting hundreds of years, and I don't think we've really waited for anything for hundreds of years. They've been waiting. John the Baptist, the one crying out of the wilderness, saying, prepare the way of the King, the Lord, the Savior. He's making paths straight. Because what he's doing He's making a gigantic path for Jesus to enter as king. Because it's fresh in people's minds. People are like, are you the Christ? That's what we're going to see in a second. Are you the Christ? There are no boundaries to Jesus' kingdom. In Jesus' kingdom, as we see God move through us, as a people, as a church, there's no boundary or barrier to the power and authority we have in Jesus. There's no boundary to that. Driving through the mountains, you know, I've driven through the mountains a lot of times. I've driven through the mountains in Kentucky. I've driven through the mountains, um, Sierra Mountains in California. I've driven through the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia. And when you drive through mountains, the best view is from the top, right? You know, if you get close to a peak of a mountain, you can see on both sides, and it's amazing. But most of the time, is it always that way? No. I, 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 my experience is you're on one side of the mountain, you can't see one way, you can see the other way. Well, what if you're in the valley? You can't see all the way up the entire mountain because there's, you know, trees blocking your view and things like that. Luke is correctly interpreting Isaiah to say, Jesus' kingdom will be clearly seen by everybody. The land is going to be flattened. There's going to be this big superhighway, and John the Baptist is making it. What he was doing was building this great highway that was one of repentance, John the Baptist was talking about repent for the kingdom of God is here. John the Baptist wasn't building an army in the desert for Jesus to come lead. I'm sure some Jews that day wanted that to happen. We know from their writings they did. He was baptizing for repentance and forgiveness of sins. So the first thing I want you to think of and write this down, lives of expectation are lives of repentance. It's not something we back off of. It's something we say, hey, I'm, I'm going this way, and the Holy Spirit's talking to me, or a person's telling me this is not going to work out well, and I'm turning around. I'm completely turning around. And so if you truly believe that Jesus is coming, that he's going to come back, you will repent. Simple as that. If, if the king is coming, you're going to repent. Because, because if you get the picture of a king 
I think of like Lord of the Rings. I don't know. I, that's what I think of when I think of kings. And so when you think of Lord of the Rings, people bow before the king and they are afraid for their very lives. So they make changes. And this king that's coming is one that invites you into the kingdom through repentance. Turning from thinking that you're king or queen of your world to that he is king of everything that you do and serving him with your whole life. Because he's the only true king, Jesus. So it's your choice to live in his kingdom or in your kingdom. No one is responsible for your thoughts and actions except you. When I used to work in social work, I would tell the teens I worked with this every day. Like, you're a choice maker. You can choose to do what we've asked you to do, or you can choose to do whatever you want. And I'm telling you, if you choose to do what we've asked you to do, it's probably wiser. It's probably wiser. You're responsible for your thoughts and actions. I think that's the hardest thing. You ever try to talk to someone, and you feel really hurt about something, and you're trying to talk to them, and they're just like, I didn't do that. It's really hard, right? Are we preparing the way of the king with how we live? Are, 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 you, are, you, are, are you individually saying, I'm preparing the way of the king. I'm preparing the way for Jesus to come into this person's life by how I live. Are you preparing the way of the king by how you live? Are you living a life of expectation? And I'm not saying expectation on others, but are you expecting God to show up in your life? Or are you just saying, I'm going to come in Sunday morning, and that's great for all the rest of you, but I'm just going to, I'm kind of doing my own thing all week. And when I go to my job, everyone, they don't talk about Jesus. And, and you know what? I really don't want to talk about Jesus. So I'm not living a life of expectation of God showing up. Do we expect him to show up in real ways? Like real tangible ways? Like, like actually have him do something in our life on a daily basis? Is that, is that what, what our expectations? And do we actually expect him to move through us? We're going to see in a second that the people around John were living lives of expectation. We're talking hundreds of years of expectation. I read this and I get really scared. You're going to wonder why I get scared in a second. (laughs) I get scared because they waited hundreds of years and I can't wait 30 seconds for my kids to respond to me. They had patience for days, and I don't. I, you know, you're going to go home this week, and you're going to ask these questions, and you're going to go, well, God didn't move today, so I'm moving on. Guess what? They waited hundreds of years, and I can't wait 30 seconds. I don't know if I'm the only one, but if I, I mean, I'm assuming I'm not the only one. Because right now you got five notifications on your phone and seven people texting you. And, you know, like, like, like our, we're constantly living this disconnected life. And so we, we, we can't wait for anything. You know, on my phone, so I'll tell you this in case you text me. I turned off read slips. Do you know what that is? If you don't know what that is, that's great. If you do know what that is, people don't know when I read their text. Do you know why? Because people expect me to respond right away. And I can't all the time. Sometimes I flip open my phone and it answers a text. I didn't even read it. And then all of a sudden, that person thinks I read something that I never did, and I, I don't know what to do with it. But we have this expectation 
that people are going to work on our time. And we do the same thing to God. And these people were waiting hundreds of years. And then they come to Luke chapter 3, verse 15. We're going to jump all the way to 15. Jump with me to Luke chapter 3, verse 15. And it says, As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. They waited hundreds of years. It says the very next verse, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. I'm going to pause for a second. Do we live lives like that? Where we say, I'm not even worthy to lace up Jesus' shoes because I can't do any of this. It's all through him. It has nothing to do with me. Do we have that expectation? He continues. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And then it says right after that, So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. John the Baptist continued preaching the good news. He didn't stop. He continued. They were waiting hundreds of years for this Savior King talked about in Daniel 7. And they wondered, no, they hoped. I won't even say wondered, they hoped that it was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was clear, it's not me. I baptized with fire, or I baptized with water. Leading to repentance, that was close. Whoa, backwards. Jesus coming with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus baptized us by making us more like him. Fire is used to refine things. He's actually, he's going to come and judge. I know, I just said it. He will put people, in this barn that it talks about, he will put people in God's house, in the barn, and he's going to put people in unquenchable fire. And I'll tell you this, something that is under attack in our culture is, is Jesus specifically says more about hell than any individual in the entire Bible. There is a hell. Just throwing that out there. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to scare people. There's no point in scaring people. We know you're not going to listen if you're not going to listen. Why did I leave verse 18 in there? Because John says this, I'm not this one. And he goes right back to preaching the good word. He doesn't take on any more questions. He just goes and he does it. But this is important to us. He's right back to clearing that highway, that path. That path of repentance is wide. This idea that, that, that we can have a way to God was something that most Jews didn't even think in that day was possible. When Jesus came, we're going to see next week that Jesus is king, but he's not the king they thought he was going to be. He's definitely not John the Baptist. We can see that this week. For whatever reason, we only have that first part that was recorded there. But the good news of the coming king was what we needed to be expectant about. And I'll tell you something. 
If you're sitting there thinking, maybe this is your first time here at Sunlight, you're thinking, this guy's talking about a king, we have a president or something. He is the ruler leader of every leader in the entire world. He's over everything. He's been given all dominion over all peoples, over all nations, that they might praise his name. goes in to the center of the Jewish world. Next week, we're going to talk about him entering Jerusalem. And he's not what people expected. Sometimes we put our expectations on others. You ever do that? Something happened in your childhood, and you become an adult, and you realize you're doing it to your kids. And it's a place of pain for you, but you haven't moved on. We put these expectations that aren't healthy. And yet Jesus is calling out to us saying, I have promised you this. You're part of my kingdom. You have a place. You're, you're going to be in the barn, which is an agricultural point, but you're going you're to be with me. You're in my house. So do we have the right expectation of what Jesus is coming to do? Do we actually have the right expectation? Do we receive others that way? Are we living lives of expectation? We're just muddling through things, kind of numb. What are we doing? Are we preparing the way of the king with how we live? I'll tell you a few things. If you've ever worked somewhere and someone says in a conversation, oh, they don't do that because they're a Christian, you probably are preparing the way of the king. Because when that person, whoever that is, even if it's in spite, says that again, they're looking to you for advice. They're looking to you because somehow you have it together more than I do. It's not because of us, like we did something special. It's because of Jesus working in our lives. Are people preparing to see Jesus as king because of us? So our vision is to see God move through you each and every week. And really, that's the question I have this morning. Do we expect, do we expect God to move through us as a church? Do we expect it? Or do we sit back and look at all the problems and the people right in front of us and say, that person could never change or this person could never change? Because when I look at Jesus and his kingdom, it's much bigger than just Sunlight Community Church. His kingdom is wherever you walk when you leave here. His kingdom is wherever you go to on Monday morning. His kingdom is where you're at on Wednesday afternoon. He's everywhere. You have an opportunity to see God move through you in many different ways. Whether it's just a kind word, or maybe it's listening to someone that's really hurting. Maybe it's praying for someone that you're afraid to pray for because of what they might say to you afterwards. Whatever it is. So I'm asking you this morning, do you expect, do we expect God to show up? Do we expect God to move through us? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you, we, we, we expect based on your promise of a king with an everlasting kingdom that, that, that should be worshipped by all peoples, all nations, all languages that you would send us out from here this morning knowing that Jesus 
is king. And that we would not be like a child that doesn't want to listen, that needs discipline, but we would be a child that that responds to your word and says, yes, I want to be in that kingdom. And I'm going to ask God to use me for his glory so so that he can be famous so that when people hear the name Jesus and they, they're around me, they know he's the king of my life. He's the one I serve. We may pay taxes to the government, but, but we serve Jesus. Heavenly Father, break our hearts in the same way your heart is broken. When we reject you, when we reject what we know, what is right and what's true, Lord, break our hearts for the exact thing that breaks yours. We know that's a bold prayer, but we ask this morning that you would do that in this church with these people, that God, you would be glorified, that you would be the one that receives, like, God, we can't claim anything good in this world separate from you. Help us to stop building our our kingdoms, our sand hills, our sand castles that can be just knocked right down when we can have and be in a part of an eternal kingdom that is indestructible. Help us to to cling to that this morning. We say all this in, in in the name of the King, Jesus Christ. Amen.